Lord, you have been good to us. Some of us have experienced answered prayers even this week. So, Lord, let us always remember that when we tend to forget, may you remind us that you have answered, that you grant strength, that you give grace, and that you are here. Father, thank you for this time. We pray that you would speak to us now. As we've sung to you, we pray, Lord, that your word speaks to us. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord and the children that are here, you are dismissed for a wonderful children's ministry. Um, I do want to highlight, as you're turning to Daniel chapter 5, I do want to highlight um, prayer week was off, old school slang, off the chain. Um, how many of us were blessed by prayer week? Amen. amen. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Um, just a night of worship was great. Uh, the women's group, the men's group, the Wednesday group. I mean, there's a lot of prayer that's been going on and, and God truly has answered and is giving grace and giving strength and, you know, waiting on the Lord. You know, sometimes God's answer is, is not a yes. How many of us know that's true? Sometimes it's like, uh, no, or not yet. Um, but either way it goes, God gives grace. I also want to highlight, um, Today kicked off a study in the book of Nehemiah. Um, Elder Don is leading that class. If you're interested in um, learning more about this powerful, powerful story and God using this great man, please, please come on Sunday mornings. It's around 9.15 or so in the, in the back um, room. You can just come on in and someone will direct you there. Daniel chapter 5. Um, I have been preaching... I just thought about this today for 25 years. That's crazy. Um, still got a lot to learn, right? You know, that don't mean anything, you know, in the grand scheme of things because you're still learning and growing. And I, I got to be honest with you. I, a mentor once told me when I first started preaching, he said, son, when you faithfully preach God's word, it's going to get you into a lot of trouble. But if you keep preaching it, it gets you out of trouble. Well, church, today we're going to get in trouble. Um, Daniel chapter 5 is a very sobering text. This is not one of them hallelujah, amen, thank you Lord type messages. This is one of those reflective messages. And my prayer is that um, God will give me grace and strength because I'm included in this. We all are included in this. And we need to take heed to the sober warning of scripture. And that's the joy of expositional preaching. You don't get to choose and pick. You have to deal with what's in front of you. And as we're walking through this, there are some portions of God's word that's like the red velvet cake of scripture. Then there's other portions that's like nasty chitlins. Oh, I couldn't stand the chitlin ministry. My mama liked chitlins, but my dad didn't like them. And he used his veto rights as a head of household to say, my son ain't got to be tortured either in Jesus' name. But there's certain portions of scripture where I'm trying to get you to see that's Oh, this is a delight, and there's other portions where it's extremely convicting, and we don't shy away from that. We lean into it. So my prayer is that we are receptive. Father, I pray that you would give me grace. I have not arrived. Nobody in here has arrived. And we all are in this struggle together. And so, Lord, I pray that we will see ourselves in this story. I pray that we would walk away here with 
a legitimate, appropriate fear of you. I pray, Father, that we will leave here deeper worshipers than when we first came in. In Jesus' name we pray, and the church said, I want to tell you a very serious story. It's not what I heard, it's what I know. When I was a teenager, my father um, met with a man who was part of this ministry that I was a part of, this, this adult man who was cheating on his wife. My dad's a preacher, and um, he don't need one of these to preach either. He can be anywhere. Um, he took this man out to lunch, and he pleaded with this man to, um, to stop this behavior. He pleaded with him to stop, that this isn't right. This man defiantly said, no, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And my dad kept pleading with him, and the man kept rejecting. It ended, the man storming out of the restaurant, causing a scene. And I remember my dad telling me how my father felt a sense of fear for this man. Two weeks later, this man dies in a horrific motorcycle accident. The only way they could recognize him was his wedding ring finger. And not to mention, his wife who he was cheating on was pregnant with their first child. I don't share this story to uh, inflict any intentional fear. I I I don't share this story to cause you to be squirmish, even though the Holy Spirit can do that much better than we can. But I share this story with us to get us to see that this is an all too familiar thing. How often have we have pleaded with someone to stop a certain lifestyle, to stop a certain behavior, that that they're damaging their lives, they're damaging and hurting so many people. How often have we pleaded, but the the person is met with defiance and arrogance? I got to be honest with you, even as a pastor, over the years having to plead with someone, don't go down that road, Don't, don't live that way, don't do that, get away from that. What are you doing? And for them to say, no, this is what I'm going to do. Let me just put a news flash out there. It never ends well. We can try to be cute. We can try to manage our sin all we want to. But there's a difference between managing our sin and dealing with our sin. And if we are addicted to managing our mess, we will never deal with our mess. And God will eventually have to step in. It's all too familiar. It's all too familiar. Ethan last week dealt with Daniel chapter 4. And in Daniel chapter 4, we learned that King Nebuchadnezzar ate some humble pie. The brother lived like an animal. Ate like an animal for seven years. But how many of us know that he turned to God? He said, okay, enough is enough. I'm surrendering to him. He's a true and living God. I'm surrendering to him. Amen, Nebuchadnezzar. Amen, brother. But now we come to chapter 5. And according to my research, about 23 years has now fast forward to this. And we're under a new leader, another new king. 
Belshazzar, scholars agree, is the uh, grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And I know And when you read this story, it'll refer to him as a son, but it really the Hebrew lends itself to his predecessor. But most likely, it's Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. And we're going to learn some things about this pattern in his life that's reflective for us. And if you'd like to take notes this morning... You see it right there in your outline that the main idea, the spoke on the wheel, the sermon in a sentence this morning is God is sovereign over ungodly kings and kingdoms. God is sovereign over ungodly kings and kingdoms. And coming to your neighborhood, I want to ask the question, seek to answer this question. What happens when we reject God? What happens to a person who defiantly rejects God and his reign in their lives? Well, the answers are there in your notes. Number one, the first thing is that we blaspheme the most high God. We blaspheme the most high God. Chapter five opens up immediately throwing us into the action. Belshazzar is throwing a party. Not just any party, he's throwing the party of the ages. A thousand people are present And they are there, wives, concubines, and all types of people are there. And as the young folks say, they are turning up. They are turning up. Cue the DJ. Everyone is having a party. Now, history has shown us, and even scripture here will show us, that Babylon fell in one night. Right in the midst of this party, the Medo-Persian Empire is right outside the door. So instead of preparing for war, the brother is throwing a party. How arrogant is that? As if to say, I ain't worried about them. Look at the might of Babylon. I'm not worried about them. We got a strong military regime. I'm not worried about them. Look at us. We are strong. One scholar says that Belshazzar's arrogant false confidence, he was defying the will of God. And he says to himself, nothing will shake me. I'll always be happy and never have trouble. See, this is the danger of pride. Pride will make us blind to our blindness. My pastor used to say, son, you don't see everybody, but everybody sees you. Pride will make us blind to our blindness. So when the the enemy is right outside the door and he's throwing a party, how arrogant Let's go even further. Because not only is he ignoring the reality of the enemy at his door, the brother now takes the vessels that his grandfather took from the house of God. Remember in chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar takes the vessels from the house of God and he places them into his temple as if to say, my gods are greater than your God. To take something from another temple and put it in yours is a statement that says, I defeated you. We're greater And so his grandson takes the vessels of the house of God, fills it up, drinks from it, then has the nerve to praise his gods, the gods of Babylon. Somebody say he crazy. Tony Evans says he shows his contempt for God's holy vessels by treating them like bar mugs. As if to say... My kingdom is greater. I'm the stuff. I'm the man. 
I think it's safe to say that Belshazzar has lost his everlasting mind. Now, right in the midst of this blasphemy, right in the midst of this party, right in the midst of them acting a fool, the Bible says, without warning, a human hand appears. It just didn't just appear. It went straight to the wall by, 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 by a lampstand. He ain't drunk. He sees it with his own eyes. And this hand that interrupts the party begins to write an inscripted message. The Bible lets us know that his color changed. Yeah, yeah, it's not every day you see just a hand show up and start writing. Yeah, his color changed. Uh, His mind was alarmed. His whole body gave way. The Bible says his knees knocked together. Can you imagine? Oh, I wish I was there to see this in high definition, in 3D, with my 3D glasses on. I would have loved to see the look on his face. Everybody's one, two stepping, then all of a sudden, silence. Everybody's toasting and blaspheming the true and living God, then all of a sudden, silence. Everybody is having a ball, then all of a sudden, silence. Can I, can I give you this piece of mail? It is nothing like it when God interrupts our daily scheduled program. It's nothing like it when a holy God says, that is enough. It's nothing like it because when he steps in, everything stops. Everything stops. Everything. And so this brother, he ain't drunk. He sees this inscription, but he can't read it. And like his grandfather, he's seeking all the help he could get. So let me, let me go ahead and call these wise people to come in here. Hey, man, what does that even mean? If, if somebody can tell me what this means, I'll reward you. And they're looking at it like, man, we, we can't help you with that, King. We can't help you, man. We can't read this. And now he's really stressed. He's really worried. Now word gets out into the palace and the queen has to come to his help. And she says, hold on now. There is a man. A man named Daniel. By the way, you know, Daniel means God is my judge. There is a man who is filled with the spirit of God. There is a man whose, whose hand God is on, he, who's helped your grandfather, who's helped other people. He will give you understanding and wisdom. There is a man. And the king is like, bring him on in here. And now the stage is set for Daniel to help him with this message. In the summer of 2000, I was... On a short-term mission trip, it just reminded me as we watched this video about short-term missions. I was on a mission trip. My mother, I grew up in a household where she didn't ask you what you wanted to do. She just told me, this is what the will of the Lord is for your life. You're going to do a summer in the city project in Los Angeles, California. Mom, I wanted to hang out with my friends. No, you're not going to come home and do nothing. You're going to go and serve Jesus. Praise God for Mama, by the way. Praise God for her. Because that, that summer changed my life. 
I was in a summer in the city project living on uh, in a frat house with other co- uh, college uh, students who were serving the Lord for eight weeks in Southern California, USC's campus. And one of the weeks we were there, we, ser- we, we shared the gospel um, to some um, homeless people at a park. And there were some prostitutes there and ended up just having a good time sharing the good news of Jesus. And many people came to Christ. I shall never forget this. We ended up sharing the gospel, our group, with this woman. She probably was a prostitute. And as soon as the ladies in our group started sharing the gospel, she ended up cursing God. Now, I've heard people cuss, but I have never in my life heard people, heard a person uh, utilize this kind of combination in my life. I'm like, wow, I didn't know you could put those words together. She was cursing us, cursing the message, and cursing God. This went on for about five to ten minutes. And Lo and behold, as I'm standing there, I'm like, man, we got to get up out of here. This girl, she ain't listening. It's time to go. As soon as I'm thinking all this, I saw a flock of pigeons fly in our direction. And literally with my own eyes in our group, we, we talk about this till this day. These birds went to the bathroom on this woman. Nobody else got hit because we was all close. Nobody else got hit. Right when she was cursing God, the birds, God was like, come here real quick. Boof. And I'm like, ooh, wee. Lord. I'm thinking, I ain't going to be like, I'm like, man, I ain't get hit. God bless you. In Jesus' name. Now, I know we laugh, and God brought that story back to my mind as I was thinking about this. I know we laugh, but listen, this this, this is an extremely sad reality, though. Let me just say this. We all have the capacity to blaspheme God. Never say what you'll never do. These same feet that rush into the house of God and the same hands that can lift our hands to God are the same things that can be used to do sinful things. We all have the capacity to blaspheme God. Now, we may not say it verbally, but let me give you a few ways that we can blaspheme God. We can blaspheme God by challenging the goodness of God in our life. Help us, Lord. We can, we, we, we can blaspheme God by demeaning his character. We can blaspheme God by operating in pride as if we're the ones that's the source of everything. You see, it's real easy, it's real easy, it's real easy. And this is why nobody can change their own life. This is why there's no such thing as a person that can change themselves. Christian life is a supernatural reality where it's the spirit of God that has to work in our hearts and we have to see our own proclivities to hurt the heart of God. We need to come to Jesus. Because when a person rejects God, they blaspheming him. They blaspheme him. Their life says, I don't want you. You're not good. You're not who you say you are. And if we're not careful, we can progress from literally blaspheming God to the second reality. And that is we repeat past sins. What happens when a person rejects God? We repeat past sins. Daniel now is brought into the room. Belshazzar tells him in so many words, hey man, I heard about you. 
I heard that you are a man of, of, of character. I heard you are a faithful man. I heard that you've helped so many people. I've heard you've, you've helped King Nebuchadnezzar. Let me tell you what happened. We were just simply having a party. Then all of a sudden, this hand shows up. I try to get some help. Nobody could help me. But I heard you can help me. And Daniel, if you help me, I'm going to give you a reward. I'll reward you. And Daniel says in so many words, I don't need your help. Keep that reward for yourself. I'm not interested. Let me pause here and give you a piece of applicational mail. Never be phased by what the world can offer you. Always be consumed with serving the purposes of God. Because the only thing that's going to last is what we do for him. Nobody's going to remember the latte you bought at Starbucks. But what God will remember is what you did for him in your moment in history. Daniel says, keep that. I don't want the accolades. But I will tell you what's going on with this message on the wall. Now, if y'all want to get a profile of boldness, if y'all want to see what it's like to be bold in the midst of opposition, notice what Daniel says beginning with verse 18. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him he was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys he was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew until he knew until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will Daniel says before I give you the message let me give you a history your grandfather had all power in his hands for this land but he thought it was of himself and God says no I gotta give you some humble pie brother you're going to eat like an animal, act like an animal, and I'm going to teach you a lesson that it's not you that put you on that throne. It was me that put you there, and my glory I share with no other. King Nebuchadnezzar learned his lesson. And unfortunately, Belshazzar has not. Boldness personified. Look what Daniel tells him in verse 22. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart Though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Your granddaddy humbled himself and nothing about you says humility. Everything about you says that you are all about yourself. You had the nerve to take the vessels that was consecrated to the house of God and use them as a, in a secular party and then use them joining with you 
and the praise of your God? Notice again, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. I love it. Before he gets to the message that came from the hand, he first lets him know that your life is in God's hands. That we don't own the clock nor the calendar of our lives. It's the holy God that is holding you together right now. It is not your intellectual capacity. It is not your good behavior. It is the grace and a holy and merciful God that loves you enough to bring you to the house of God to remind you that your life is in his hands. Now, now, now. His old line many of us have heard before. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Now, typically, you know, I mean, it typically means you're just like your mama, just like your daddy. Typically. You know, athletic ability, gifting, DNA. Ah, but more specifically, it could, it could relate to sinful. That many of us are repeating the same patterns of sin that our mama did, that our daddy did. There's, there's addiction strongholds. There's relationship strongholds. There's fatherlessness strongholds. Now let me just say this in love to all of us. Your past might explain you, but it does not excuse you. Your past might explain you. It gives you context. It helps people understand your story, your narrative. The good, the bad, and the ugly. But I declare to you that your past does not excuse you. That we all are held accountable of our own actions. It comes a point, God knows the horrific realities of our life, he knows the ugly things in our life, but it comes a point in our life where we have to take ownership and say enough is enough. No more generational curses. No more strongholds. No more addictions. And here's the question, how serious are we? How serious are we in dealing with our sins? How serious are we in confronting this? Because one thing I know, God can put an end to this. God can help you. But God's not going to force himself on anybody. He gives us that responsibility. Brendan, what are you going to do with this behavior? Are you going to choose to keep it for yourself and progress down a road you don't need to go down? Or are you going to give it to me and trust me to keep you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on me? Because if we don't listen, we're going to end up repeating past sins. And if I don't turn to God, the third reality is the real deal. What happens when a person rejects God? They blaspheme the most high God. We repeat past sins. And number three, we experience God's judgment. We experience 
God's judgment. Notice in verse 24, Daniel goes on to say, then from the presence, the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. I love it. When you study scripture, uh, try to do an, uh, 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 a study on words. Um, I find it interesting that uh, the hand of God is an expression that's used in many places in scripture. Uh, it, it speaks of God's activity in a person's life or in a nation's life. For example, the hand of God can refer to his hand of deliverance. It can refer to his hand of blessing. It can refer to his divine hand of power. It can refer to his presence. But right here, it refers to his judgment. See, everybody want to hang their hat on, ooh, bless me, Lord. Ooh, bless me. Yeah, God's like, nope, not today. Because you acting cray-cray. Crazy. So the hand goes forth and Daniel, here it is, verse 25, this is the writing that was inscribed, many, many, tekel and parson. Notice, many, many is used twice. So it's three words actually, but he emphasizes many, many, tekel and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, meaning that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Three. Paris, your king is divided. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. First uh, Samuel 2 verse 3 says, talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. You remember in Daniel chapter 2 when Nebuchadnezzar had the dream. And the kingdom of silver, arms and chests of silver, two kingdoms was going to replace Babylon. This is the fulfillment. I love it. This is why God's word is precise, because this is what happens. Verse 29, notice how crazy this is. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. How, 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 how stupid is this behavior? You just received a word that says your life is about to end. Your kingdom is about to be turned over. And you want to put a robe on a brother? You see how pride will make us look real stupid? Instead of responding like his grandfather, he want to say, oh, Daniel, thank you, bro. Thank you. Mm, mm, mm. That very night... Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. The image with the head of gold has now fallen and is replaced by the arms and chest of silver. One scholar says that Belshazzar forgot the word of God and the lessons of history and lost his kingdom and his life. May we not make the same mistakes today. Proverbs 14 verse 12 says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. 
Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let me say it again. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I, I say this and I, and, I, and I proclaim this sobering, um, knee-buckling reality. There will come a time when God will say that is enough. I know we live in a land where everybody wants to talk about it's your season, this is your destiny. You know, seven steps to become a better you and don't nobody want to hear this. Paul told Timothy it's coming a time when people will not endure sound doctrine. But instead, wanting their ears to be tickled, tell me what I want to hear, they will accumulate for themselves preachers that suit their own passions. And what I'm telling you right now is not going to grow an American church. And I'm okay with that because I ain't concerned about that. I'm concerned about being faithful to what's written. And there's a time when God will say, that is enough. And for some of us, this could be your very last message you'll ever hear. And I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm not scared of that. I don't fear anyone but God. And I don't apologize for this. Because what we see here is a God that says it is enough. So I don't have a fancy way of closing this sermon. I don't. I don't have a closing illustration or nothing. But as the worship team comes up, I do have one challenge, though. Don't play with God. Don't play with God. It's no wonder why the Lord's prayer opens up. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, King James, be thy name. I wonder why I feel more spiritual when I say that. May God's name be regarded and treated as holy. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a household well, my, my mama and my dad, they, they, they did not play us children calling adults by their first name. Oh, if you want to see Sister Cameron Loritz go off on her brother. Oh, Lord. Don't you ever call an adult by their first name, boy. What's wrong with you? You better put a tag on that. That's pastor such and such. That's Mr. such and such. That's Mrs. so and so. That's Dr. so and so. Why? Because they wanted to instill in us, you need to honor their position. Now, if that's true, from an earthly perspective, how much more should that be true in our relationship with the Lord? God is not our bosom buddy, He is not the man upstairs. He is a holy God that loves us, yes. But we don't play with him. He is not on a first name basis. Father, that's who you are. Daddy, that's who you are. Holy, that's who you are. Great God, that's who you are. You're not the man upstairs. You're the ancient of days. You're on the throne and we fall before you. We don't live our lives for ourselves. We live for your glory. And so 
my plea to us, don't play with God. And as I was studying this, as I was reflecting on this personally, I tell you, I tell you, there comes moments in our time with the Lord where it's a lot of self-inventory. And, and, and that's where I want us to be even right now. What, what, what is it in my life? Let the Holy Spirit convict. Lord, search me, as David said, search me and know me. Show me, Father, is there anything within me that, that is pressing against your holiness? Is there any patterns of behavior, sin, and things I need to bring and I need to cast before your throne? Is there anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Today's a good day. Today is a good day to say I'm, I'm going to respond to this prompting in my spirit. That's not the preacher, that's the spirit of God. Over and over again in the book of Hebrews today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. So Father, I, I ask you as we just do business with you, as we get ready to close out and sing our songs and, and all the above, Lord, I just pray even right now in this precious holy moment, I do pray for an appropriate fear to fill our hearts. That none of us is perfect. That if we choose to go down the road of rejection of you, Lord, there will come a time when you'll say, okay, that's enough. And we don't know what that looks like. We don't know what that kind of spanking will look your word tells us in 1 John, there is a sin that leads unto death. We don't know, which is why we need to respond. Father, I come before you asking you for mercy, asking you for a heart of humility, asking you to, to help me with my own pride. Lord, help me not to be a knucklehead. Help me not to go down the road of being stubborn. Soften my heart to the beauty of Jesus. Soften my heart to the messages that you send my way. Thank you for your grace that even sends us a message. Whether it be through this word or through the prayers of a brother or sister, through whatever way you see fit, Lord, I pray that we pay attention Lord oh how I love you oh how I love your people oh how I love your word the truth of the matter is Lord we all have Belshazzar in us we're sinners but that doesn't excuse us we're held accountable and so Father I pray that even now as we ready to sing that we would just do business with you right where we are do business with you if you want to be prayed for we'll have some people available to pray with you but my prayer is don't leave this place without first responding to what God is saying to you in your heart Lord we thank you, we honor you and we hear you and we receive your word